Welcome to episode 10 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And we're going to do something a little different because it is episode 10. Woohoo! Episode 10! We are going to be telling a supernatural and true crime story based in the exact same location. And this location is in Massachusetts. So mom, since you are doing the paranormal, what did you bring us to drink? Well, I know you were really hoping for a lager. <laughs> yeah, come on, Boston lager. But I decided to rhyme it with a Cape Codder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and that is actually what the drink is called. A Cape Codder? A Cape Codder. Okay, what um, is in our Cape Codder here? It's a vodka cranberry drink. Oh. And I picked that because, of course, Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice is headquartered in Massachusetts. I did not know that. So, I thought this was apropos. It's usually called a Cape Cod, but I put a squeeze of lime in it, which made it a Cape Codder. <laughs> I don't get it. Serious. That's... That's what they say? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. You learn something new every day. <laughs> so, it's basically a shot and a half of vodka. And then however much cranberry that just filled that up. I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and a squeeze of lime juice. Okay. Well, so. Cheers to our Cape Codders. All right. Let's see what this tastes like. <laughs> I think the lime there added a little bit of tanginess to it. Kind of, it's good. It's crisp. I wish we were drinking it on it's a... It's a good summer drink. Summer day. Exactly. We'll have to remember this for the pool. Yes, we shall. Okay, so our story this week takes place in Fall River, Massachusetts. Now, this story happened over 125 years ago, but it is crazy how much it is still in the media and present everywhere even today. It's a very interesting story. And I know you all will recognize the name Lizzie Borden, but don't fast forward quite yet. There are a lot of facts to this that you may not know, and it's super interesting. The case really intrigued me, and I learned so much in my research. So I am going to tell you the story of Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden was born in 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. She was the third daughter born to Sarah and Andrew Borden. The middle sister actually died fairly young, and unfortunately, when Lizzie was two years old, her mother passed away as well. On her mother's deathbed, the eldest sister, Emma, who was actually 10 years older than Lizzie, promised to care for, quote, baby Lizzie, and she always did. She was more of a mother figure than a sister in Lizzie's life. So she was like 12 when her mother passed away. Exactly. Then. Oh, yes. When Lizzie was then five years old, Andrew Borden remarried. Now, it's said that this marriage was more of convenience than of love. So Abby was the name of the new wife, and she didn't really come from the best of families, I read. And she was in her 30s. She was kind of a spinster at the time and thus in need of a husband. <laughs> And he needed a caretaker and he for needed, the girls. Yes, exactly. And he needed a caretaker for the girls. So this wasn't exactly the happiest of families. Mm. Actually, a little tidbit of information, a little 
foreshadowing, if you will. Ironically, the family coat of arms was that of a lion holding a battle axe. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So Andrew Borden was very well known in the town of Fall River. Well known. I don't know if he was well liked. He had actually started when he was young as an undertaker, and it was said that he would actually cut the feet or the legs off of corpses to allow for smaller coffins. Say what? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if this is true, but in a lot of research I read, he was a bit of a miser. Yeah. And it was not secret in the business community of Fall River that Andrew Borden would, to quote the article I read in American Heritage, would foreclose, undercut, and overcharge without flinching. He worked his way up to being the president of a bank, but even this doesn't mean that he and his family lived as such. So in Fall River, there was this really beautiful neighborhood of these gorgeous, large, elegant homes, and it was called The Hill. This is not where the Bordens lived. The Bordens lived on 2nd Street in a home that didn't even have a bathroom in it. At the time, there was running water in homes, even some electricity, but not in the Bordens. They wow. didn't even use gas lights. They what? used kerosene lamps and still heated their baths on the stove. Oh, my gosh. They lived well below their means. Just so you understand this, after his death, Andrew's accounts added up to over $300,000, which today is well over $8 million. Wow. And this is how he chose to live. So Lizzie was known around town as a bit odd. She was also known around town growing up as a shoplifter. Really? Yes. So, but when she shoplifted, I don't know if it's because they lived in a small town or if it's because people knew who her father was, but the the vendors wouldn't do anything or say anything to her. They would just kind of make a note of it, and then charge Mr. Borden later on for whatever she shoplifted. So, like, what, what kind of stuff? I think just, like, small things here and there, little pieces of candy or... But not, like, jewelry or anything like that. I think just, just small things here and there. So, growing up, Emma and Lizzie didn't have much of a social life. It was really limited to school and church. They didn't take part in any lavish events of the town or parties or anything like that with their school friends. Lizzie did actually drop out of school as a junior. And besides a little trip her father treated her to to Europe, when she returned back home to Fall River, it was back to heating baths on the stove and saving for a new dress. Oh, jeez. Emma and Lizzie both lived at home. It was unheard of at the time for unmarried women to, no matter of their age, to live on their own. It was just socially unacceptable. So in this home was Mr. and Mrs. Borden, Emma, Lizzie, and their Irish immigrant maid, Bridget. Okay, so I'm going to describe you the floor plan of this home on 2nd Street. Mom, I'm going to share this with you too. So when you walk in, there's a small entryway and some staircases that lead upstairs. So let's just start there. So the entryway in those, that's front stairwell, it leads up to a very small landing And then from that landing, you can walk into either a small closet and then to the left is a larger room, which is the guest room. Okay. And then from the landing, so you can, so from the landing, you can walk into two bedrooms and a closet. One of the bedrooms is a guest room and that faces the front of the house. 
And then towards the back of the house, you walk into what is Lizzie's bedroom, which is a very, it's a larger room. Now, from Lizzie's bedroom, you actually have to walk into another room from Lizzie's room. It's very small, almost like a closet. And this is Emma's room, the older sister, which is very interesting to me that she has such a small room. And then there actually is another door in Lizzie's room that leads to the master bedroom for Mr. and Mrs. Borden. And it is said that that door was nailed shut between oh. so you could not go through it it okay. was nailed shut okay so coming up that front stairwell the girls kind of had their own little area upstairs i mean but everybody had to go through lizzie's room to get downstairs no so go back to the first floor there you have the front entry in that front staircase now if you go to the left there's a parlor there and if you keep walking straight that's the sitting room with the fireplace and uh, then off of that is a dining room and off of that is the kitchen. And then off the kitchen there is actually a back stairwell. Okay. And that back stairwell leads up to the master bedroom and the master dressing room. So okay. to get up to the master bedroom, you would take the back stairwell and that front stairwell would kind of go to the girls like apartment up there. I see. So okay. it is separated a little bit upstairs. And then there's two doors. There's the front door to that front entry. And then there is a back door at a small landing that would go kind of to the back stairs as well. Okay. Well, just so our our uh, listeners know, there are no hallways. No, there are absolutely no hallways. I mean, it one room, room goes directly room. into another room, into another room, into another room. There exactly. are absolutely no hallways. No hallways. And I will post a picture of this, too, on our social media. So if you're listening to this, you can easily go on our social media, and I'll post a picture of this so that you can see it. And then also from that back door, that staircase, it winds actually all the way up to an attic. And that attic is where the maid Bridget lived. It's just a very small attic bedroom, and that's where the maid lived or slept. All of them lived in that little home. And even though... He was pretty brutally strict and on his money and everything. It is said that he actually did adore Lizzie. And he, Andrew and Lizzie, did have a close relationship. Lizzie actually uh, had given her father, I don't know if it was a class ring or a special ring when she was a teenager. And she stole. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Who knows? But he actually was still wearing that when he died. So they had, they were close. But the relationship between Abby, the stepmother, right. Lizzie and Emma was totally different. The girls really disliked Abby. The hatred just kept growing. They actually didn't even call her Abby or stepmother. They called her Mrs. Borden. And that <laughs> is what she was referred to by them. Even after all those years. After all those years. So the straw that really kind of broke the camel's back with their relationship was when Andrew purchased a house for a family member of Abby's, this really got the girls really mad. She's not a blood relative. That money belongs to the family. They're skimping by on, you know, little dresses yeah. and heating their no water bathrooms, on stoves right. and no bathrooms and or anything. And then he buys her one of her family members a home. They were infuriated. So Andrew tries to make it right. And he actually gifts the girls a home as well. I mean, they really can't do anything with it. They can't. You know, he knows socially they can't do live in this home, but he buys them a home and they actually just turn around and sell it back to their father. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) But the relationship just keeps getting worse and worse between Abby and the girls. But besides the tension in this home between all the women, other odd things started happening to the family in general, especially during the summer of 1892. Lizzie was almost 32. Emma was 42. And they were, yes, they were still living at home. During the middle of the day, the family had a break in. The only thing stolen was $50 and some jewelry from Mrs. Borden's desk in her room. An investigation was called. It was really scary at the time to think of an intruder coming during the day. And it seemed very deliberate, like they knew exactly. It was very personal. Where to go, where things were. After two weeks, Andrew Borden actually called off the investigation. And it kind of seems like he took it upon himself to take care of it. He solved it by locking every single room in the house all the time. Closets, bedrooms. As you said, there's no hallways. Uh-uh. Everything was just locked. And he had the master key. And he would either keep it on him or on a side table in the parlor. So how'd they go to their rooms? They had key. He was. It's kind of like you sending a message to somebody in the house. Yeah. Like, you must go through me first kind of a thing. So then in the early days of August that summer, the Bordens and their maid were all feeling very ill. Abby Borden expressed to the doctor across the street she believed that someone had tried to poison the baker's bread, which actually I read in a few sources that he later like laughed off, like laughed at her because she had admitted that they had eaten some warmed fish on a recent occasion. So he was just like, you're just sick because of fish. Fish, right. And Lizzie actually expressed to her close friend, Alice Russell, that she believed the milk to be poisoned. She shared with Alice that she thought her father had many enemies and that they were after the family. She said that she hadn't slept in a long time since their home had been broken into and that there had been many other burglaries. Good job. Thanks. Attempted on the home. And a strange man had been seen lurking around their barn recently. Her father had been getting unknown threats, and she greatly feared that one of these enemies would burn down the house. Interesting. August 3rd, the Bordens had a visitor come and stay with them. It was Emma's and Lizzie's mother's brother. So their uncle. (laughs) John Morse. He came into town to visit with a sick relative and stayed at the Bordens' home. He, too, was a businessman, even though it said that his business was failing at the time. That night, the two men actually got into a bit of an argument. No sources quite stated what the argument was about. Maybe, I assume, like, maybe Andrew had some stock in John's company, or they were just bickering over... Or John asked for money. John, exactly. Some I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was too big of a deal. I don't even know if it needs to be noted that they got into an argument, because the next morning they enjoyed breakfast together and coffee and everything was fine. Okay. But there was an argument that night. So I'm going to break down... The next day, because that's the day. And I'm going to kind of base it. I read through the trial transcripts and I'm going to base it on Bridget's testimony because she gave day like hour by hour what happened at the home. Okay. On the fateful day. So I'm going to break it down like she did. So Bridget woke a bit before 6 o'clock and lit the breakfast fire. John Morse, Mrs. and Mr. Borden enjoyed Bridget's breakfast around 7 o'clock. 
Now, it was not uncommon for Lizzie not to eat with Mr. and Mrs. Borden. She usually slept in later, and so she didn't really eat breakfast with them. All right. I'm going to note, too, that Emma was out of town. She was oh, visiting okay. with some friends out of town, so she was not home. So after breakfast, John left to visit with the sick relative across town, and Andrew left for work to handle some investments at the bank. It was around this time that Abby started dusting the downstairs, and Lizzie came down to eat breakfast. So Bridget asks Lizzie what she wants for breakfast, and Lizzie requested coffee and cookies and that she would get it herself. That's my kind of breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) So Lizzie eats breakfast, and Abby's dusting, and Abby informs Bridget that she needs to clean the first floor windows inside and out, which had to be terrible news for Bridget because it was extremely hot Hot. day. It's August, right? Yes. And she's actually still, her stomach is still a little upset from whatever illness they have. Oh, that's right. Everyone was sick. Yeah. So her testimony does include her going out and getting sick outside a few times. And it's already 9 a.m. and it's very hot outside. So Bridget goes out to start with the outside of the windows while Mrs. Borden goes upstairs to straighten out the guest room that Uncle John had stayed in the night prior. And this is actually the last time that Mrs. Abby Borden is seen alive. Bridget finishes outside and comes back inside around 10.45. Bridget hears the side door rattling, like someone's trying to get in, that back door. Mm -hmm. But then she starts hearing the front door jiggling, like someone trying to get in the front door. And she looks out the window and she sees that it's Mr. Borden. And he was really routine, so it was really abnormal for him to be coming home at 10.45. But he was home and he was trying to get into the door and... For some reason, the door had been bolted from the inside. What? So was the back door bolted too? They were both bolted? So it was like common. They needed to always, they were very strict about locking the doors behind them. So Bridget came inside after finishing from outside. So it wasn't a surprise that the doors were locked. Right. But it was actually like bolted. So he has the master key. He -hmm. can get in and out as he pleases. Mm -hmm. But the door was extra bolted, so he couldn't get in, even with his key. So somebody okay. had, not Bridget, but somebody had bolted the door, absolutely locked. Right. And so as she goes to unlock the door, she kind of let lets out a, like a ugh noise. Mm-hmm. And as she did, she heard Lizzie giggling from the upstairs landing. She lets Mr. Borden in, and Lizzie comes downstairs as her father is coming in, and Bridget witnesses a conversation between them. They're discussing the mail. Andrew's carrying in a package and some letters. And so they're talking about the mail. And Andrew asks, where's Mrs. Borden? And Lizzie claimed that Abby had received a letter in the mail or like a letter. Uh, somebody had come and hand delivered a letter to Abby saying that a friend was sick. So Abby had left to go visit with this sick friend. The conversation ends and Andrew takes off his work jacket, folds it under his head and lays down on the couch in the sitting room for a nap. Bridget heads to the dining room to finish up with the windows, and Lizzie goes into the dining room at this time as well and sets to ironing handkerchiefs. Lizzie and Bridget have a conversation about a sale on dress goods at the local general store, and they discuss if either one of them is going to be going to the sale that afternoon. Bridget finishes with the windows. She then goes and washes her clothing in a sink basin and hangs them over the fire and goes upstairs to her attic room for a nap. She states that about four or five minutes after she lay down, she heard the town bells ring that it was 11 o'clock. 
Okay. A few minutes after that, she hears Lizzie shouting up to her. Maggie, Maggie, come quick. On her way down the stairs, Lizzie keeps yelling, quick, father's dead. Someone has come in and killed him. Wait, can I interrupt here? Yes. I thought her name was Bridget. It is Bridget. I did not pull another Walter. <laughs> yes, they called her Maggie. Lizzie and Emma called Bridget Maggie. I don't know if that's just a family name that they called their maids or if it's a derogatory thing. I'm not sure, but they called her Maggie. Okay. Bridget comes running into a terrible sight. Andrew Borden was on the same couch he had laid down on to take his nap. He was still lying on his right side, and he was covered in blood and literally didn't have a face anymore. His nose had been hacked off, his skull broken, and an eye was dangling from its socket. Oh, gross. I'm sorry. And blood was still dripping from his face. Bridget ran across the street to Mr. Bowen's house. And every time I read that, I was like, okay, what's a doctor really going to do right (laughs) now? Doctor, doctor. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, but he's not there. So she leaves a message with his wife. She returns home to Lizzie, and Lizzie requests her to run and get her friend, Miss Russell, because she's scared and doesn't want to be alone in the house. But she would be alone if Bridget had if to run. Bridget had just gone across the street. so she And if she's sending her on another mission to go some find somebody else, she's going to be alone again. I don't quite understand that. But Bridget runs and tries to find her friend, Miss Russell. She is not home, so she keeps running around trying to find Miss <laughs> Russell. She doesn't succeed in finding her, so she comes home. the next day, she comes (laughs) back. (laughs) So she comes home, and there's actually a crowd around the house now. And inside is Mr. Dr. Bowen and a neighbor friend, uh, Adelaide Churchill. Bridget, at this time, questions Lizzie on the spot. What happened? Where were you? The doors were locked. I locked all the windows and screens after I cleaned. So they were very... Like they were trained, they right. had to lock up mm-hmm. behind themselves. And Lizzie responded, I was here. I was outside and I heard a groan, so I came inside. I don't know what happened, but that screen is open. Now there's even a larger crowd forming around the Borden's house. Adelaide Churchill suggests to get a blanket to cover Mr. Borden's body from the peering eyes outside. Mm-hmm. So she and Bridget go up to Mr. and Mrs. Borden's room and they find a sheet and they come back down and And Bridget starts to question Lizzie again, this time about where Mrs. Borden is. Where is she? Should I go to her sister's house? Should I go looking for her? And Lizzie says, you know, I actually heard a noise upstairs. She may be home already. Will you go up and look? Oh, my gosh. Bridget didn't want to go upstairs by herself, so she had Miss Churchill go up again with her. And on their way up the stairs, they find Mrs. Borden laying face down on a blood-covered carpet between the bed and the dresser, dead. And they ran downstairs. So soon after that, the police arrive. What noise would Lizzie have heard? Mm, Don't know. After further inspection, they find that the blood at Mrs. Borden's crime scene is dry, whereas Mr. Borden's was very fresh. So they happened a few hours apart from They determined there was an hour and a half to two hours between the two deaths. No weapon is found in the search. None of the females of the home were questioned, though, might I add. And with all the people coming in and out of the home, the whole scene was kind of a disarray. Had there been an intruder? And if so, that meant that the intruder was hiding out for almost two hours between the kills. Right. Was it an enemy? Why had no one heard the killings? The killings seemed very personal. 
How did neither Lizzie or Bridget hear any screams? So Abby was hit. First hit was on the side of her face, almost as if she was turning to see if somebody was coming into the room. Like she heard something. Like she heard something and she turned. She was hit 17 more times after that, mostly in the back of the head. Mr. Borden had been napping, so there would not have been any fighting back. It was determined that the first blow to the face would have instantly killed him, Mm -hmm. but he was hit a total of 11 times. The first person arrested for the crime was actually an immigrant man living in town. Unfortunately, this is just the small-minded thinking of the time, that surely this terrible killing could not have been done by one of their own. Not one of us, right. He was obviously let go with no evidence against him. It isn't until after Mr. and Mrs. Borden's funeral that Lizzie is called in for an inquisition. They wanted to know her whereabouts, and depending on who asked, and when they asked her story, just kept changing. At first, so for Abby's killing, she was ironing handkerchiefs in the kitchen and the dining room. Another response she gave was that she was out at the barn, either eating pears in the barn loft or searching in the barn for iron sinkers for an upcoming fishing trip. Keep in mind, the police did search the barn, and they found that the barn was covered in dust. No footprints. So she had not been in there. No skirt trails. Nothing. Lizzie instantly becomes the main suspect after a local pharmacist calls in a claim that just the day before the deaths, Lizzie had come in and asked for prosuic acid, the poison. Mm -hmm. She said she needed it to clean her seal skin cape. Another witness that that friend Alice Russell mm-hmm. claimed that a few days after the murders, she walked into the kitchen and witnessed Lizzie burning a dress. When she asked Lizzie what she was doing, she responded that the dress was covered in paint and that she was just getting rid of it. Paint from where? Now, how did the police not notice a paint or even a blood-covered dress before? Well, at this time... It was not dignified to go through a woman's things mm-hmm. or to even check under the dress that she was wearing when they arrived on the scene that she could have put a dress on top of the bloody of dress. Of course. Emma, her sister, though, does back up the burning of the dress and said that it was actually her suggestion to burn the dress that was covered in paint. On August 11th, Lizzie Borden is arrested, and it speaks a lot again for the time that Fall River didn't even have anywhere to jail women, so they had to transfer her. It was just so incomprehensible of the time that a woman could do this. Women are such delicate flowers, you know? (laughs) Heck, the men of the town were all just in total shock. No woman could wield an axe. Her arms are too short. She's not merely strong enough. So Lizzie awaits trial for over a year, but boy, oh boy, does she get the team of all teams to defend her. One of her lawyers was a former governor of Massachusetts, George Robinson, and he actually appointed the judge, oh, oh, the judge of her trial. So the whole time during the investigation, Lizzie was very composed, even with her father covered in blood and the whole time that she's in the home after everything she's very composed no crying nothing but here in the trial she fainted a couple times she was very dramatic i think her defense Defense really had her trained like i said her defense was incredible the greatest thing they did was well remember those inconsistent statements that she gave in the Uh beginning 
Well, her defense got all of those statements inadmissible in the court, meaning they couldn't be used right. in front so? of the jury. One reason being that Lizzie had actually been put on morphine after her father's death. Oh. You know, to calm her nerves. So she didn't want So she had basically, she was basically drugged during questioning. But the biggest reason was because she did not have a lawyer present. <laughs> Another thing the defense did was make the pharmacist's statement of the buying of the poison as inadmissible as well because, get this, they say it was two very different means of killing. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't cohere together. So maybe that's why everyone was sick. <laughs> maybe she's the one who put it the acid in everyone's Maybe she had been trying dinner. for a while and it just wasn't working. Right. So for the prosecution's fight, they fought that she had a motive of wanting money and for hating her stepmom. And they really fought for the fact that no other obvious suspects. But we'll cover that later. They also brought in what they believed to be the murder weapon. They had found an axe head in the basement on top of some old tools. It was just the blade, though. The handle had been broken off, and they didn't find that. But the axe looked newish, but looked to have been rubbed in ash to make it look old. What? So, like I said, she fainted during the trial. It was a very theatrical event. <laughs> so they also did something that was really quite rare for the times. They actually had the bodies exhumed. Oh. And then they cut the heads off. Oh. And they boiled the skin off the skulls. Oh. And they brought the skulls into the trial. Back to Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's just like flashbacks to my poor mother. <laughs> so they bring these skulls into the trial, which when they bring the skulls out, she faints, which, I mean... In her defense, I would have—I don't know how I would have handled that. But then they take the supposed murder weapon and they're trying to like fit it into the skulls to show that it was the murder weapon. Right. But it's kind of interesting because the, the gaps like really didn't fit. The gaps were too big. And I think they should have tried that before really before doing it. I don't and know the what the whole purpose is. It's the old um, OJ glove. The yeah. glove doesn't fit. <laughs> so. They actually, uh, in the trial, they also had Harvard scientists testify that any woman could, yes, in fact, swing an axe. <laughs> and the trajectory swinging would actually swing the blood outwards. So she wouldn't necessarily be covered in blood. That's what the Harvard scientists said. The biggest thing that really gets me in all of this, though, is the note. That note that Mrs. Borden got about a sick friend. Right. Emma and Lizzie actually put an ad in the paper for a reward for someone to come forward, either the author of the note or, heck, even the person who delivered the note. This, of course, could have been a ruse put on by her defense. But all in all, I don't think there is exactly any evidence that points to Lizzie. Sure, she was alone in the home during all of this. But so was Bridget. She was just as capable and had everything just as accessible to her as Lizzie. But she wasn't a suspect, I guess, because she didn't have a motive. But could Bridget have worked with? I, I Possibly. But I don't, I don't know what her motive would have been. Cause Unless there's something going on behind closed doors that we didn't know. But I don't know what Bridget's motive would have been. No, I don't either. But I don't know why she wasn't questioned, though, either. She was just as capable and left in a home alone as well. So, anyway, after Lizzie had a bunch of character references from her church, that's another thing her defense did. 
And after 90 minutes of jury deliberating, actually, in all honesty, they came out in a pub later and claimed that it took them a whole 10 minutes. But they wanted to save face. Oh, my God. So they came out later. They found her not guilty. So if she was looking for it or not, she received what she wanted, wealth and independence in one fell stroke, or 30, according to reports. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say it. (laughs) So she went back to live in Fall River, actually. And when she went to church the following Sunday, just a few days later after her trial, she realized things were not going to be the same. (laughs) Even though this congregation stood by her during her trial, the preacher pastor actually like walked her into court. Then the character references came from this exact church. All the pews around her pew remained empty during the service. No one exactly told her not to go back to church or go back to her day to day in Fall River, but it became clear that she shouldn't and she was not accepted. She was a stubborn woman and stayed. She bought a larger house on the hill and named it Maplecroft. She and her sister lived there together, and she even changed her name to Lizbeth. <laughs> it was an elaborate home for the time, and her lifestyle became as such. She became friends with the theater crowd, much to Emma's disapproval. She started hosting lavish parties for theater troops. We like those parties. And she became close friends with actress Nancy O'Neill. I hate to say this, Mom, but during this time, actresses were much considered to be like prostitutes (laughs) during one of the parties emma snuck out and never talked to her sister again not to say she didn't stand by her innocence but she didn't approve of the life choices that she chose after the trial lizzie couldn't really move on past what happened i mean on the anniversary they always printed something in the paper kids would throw things at her home all the time and like dare each other to go ring her bell at all hours of the night Taxis would drive tourists past the murder house as well as Lizzie's new home on a regular basis. She kept company with the theater group and her many canine companions. Oh. Does sound like you a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Besides the murdering part. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Mom, Lizzie sounds just like you. She died in 1927 at the age of 67, her sister Emma dying just a few days following. Really? In her will, she left money to the city to care for her father's grave, some money to some family and friends, but the majority of her wealth she left to the Animal Rescue League of Fall River. A killer or not a killer, she took to her grave. No one will know, and there's no one left here to defend her. After all is said and done, the case was closed, obviously. But today, there are a lot of different theories and definitely more suspects to consider. So I'm not going to go into full depth because, again, there are so many things about Lizzie and Bridget were in a relationship. Bridget and Uncle John were in a relationship. Andrew Borden sexually abused Lizzie and Bridget and Emma. I mean, there's all of these theories. Some considered uh, Dr. Bowen a suspect. Because during the time, a few witnesses actually stated that he was seen driving his carriage fast and very erratically away from the scene at the time of the murder would have taken place. But maybe he had and a he wasn't call. Home. Right. I, I'm just an, saying. An emergency call that I'm he just had to saying. get to. One that the person wasn't already dead. <laughs> One that really <laughs> mattered. 
Another is that Andrew Borden had an illegitimate son. His name was apparently Billy and that he didn't or wasn't going to write him into his will. So he came and killed them. Emma wasn't really at a friend's house and she did it. Another one, a lot of theorists are that Bridget did it and Lizzie helped or Lizzie did it and Bridget helped. They kind of went in together. Right. Or the one where my thoughts kind of actually lingered a little bit longer was Uncle John. His alibi was that he went to visit with a sick relative. Ironically, wasn't that the same thing as a note that the note said that oh, Abby it did. got? It did. Uh, John's alibi, though, when he was questioned, he was at he was at a relative's house. He even gave the trolleys numbers that he took to get there. Everything. But his story did change a lot. Some of his stories said that he was with Dr. Bowen that morning and all these different things. But some people, and I'm kind of interested in this theory, they think that he didn't leave when he said he left. Maybe he left and snuck back in and he was upstairs and he killed Abby and then he left, took the trolleys, made note of the trolley numbers, did go visit with relatives and then he came back, snuck in somehow and killed Andrew Borden. Well, that's the question, though. How would he have snuck in? How would anybody I have know, snuck with in? With all the doors being locked and everything. There's like... Maybe maybe Lizzie just had some part in it. I don't know. Oh, that's crazy. Yes. So the trial is online. You can go through and read every everything from the actual trial, all the witness statements and everything. But that is the true crime story of Lizzie Borden. Lizzie so after all of that history and that horrific death is the lizzie borden house really haunted i can imagine it has to be I haven't experienced it, obviously, for myself, but here's another trip idea for you and I. I would love to go there. I yes. know. <laughs> After we do a story, I'm always like, I really want to go there now. <laughs> I've done all this research. I really want to go there. I've read on a quite a few different sites about different experiences, and I would say that this is a haunted house. Yes. I think more haunted. Good, or you wouldn't be doing a story <laughs> on it. Well, I think even more haunted than most of the places we have. Really? We've talked about, Ooh. you know, in the in the other episodes. Is it because the attention that the owners are giving the house now mm. and all the people that are coming for the paranormal? Yes. You know, is that calling attention to the ghosts? Do they want that attention? Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll note, like, when I was looking at the interior of the home for my story so I could get the layout of the house, I was watching somebody, like, on YouTube, like, videotape them, like, walking into the house and kind of, like, walking through it. And there was a Ouija board in the corner. Yep. So yep. it's obviously yeah, done there. Yeah. I think a lot of spirits are conjured there. On a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I that Ouija board I saw in several different photos. Mm -hmm. And each time it was propped up against the wall yes. in the same position. Yes. But there was things different about it. Maybe it was a different board. I Maybe they just have a board in every room. 
I don't know. It was it was that was weird. I was mm. like, hmm. Okay. From the outside of the house, which is now a bed and breakfast. Weird. Uh, it's a small it's actually a cute little house. Mm-hmm. It's a small rectangular two story dark green house. It has the customary uh, cellar and attic and attached to the windows are green shutters. <laughs> it's very well taken care of. It's got flowers out front. and Wow. Well, it's a bed and breakfast. Right. You know. And it actually looks very charming. So as I read the descriptions and saw pictures of the inside, so now we're moving in. <laughs> it says if you leave 2020 behind and you walk into the past Ooh. because the owners have totally redone the B&B as if the Bordens still live there. They have like that crazy floral like wallpaper yep. and the crazy looking carpets. Yep. And they even have um, they don't have you know any of the original furniture and stuff but they did find a couch Ew. the the one that Mr. Borden was killed on, they found a couch that looks exactly like that. Ugh. Now it's that Victorian kind of. Uh, it's definitely everything's Victorian. Chase kind yep. of, yeah. Now, little creep factor I think is also throughout the whole house they have murder photos. I know that yeah. I just don't. It's so weird. It's so gross. I mean, like above. I think it was above that. Ca- above that the couch. couch. They've got is a the picture, picture of him of lying his on the corpse. Couch. Yeah, so, I mean, so that tourists can pose like him though in that couch to take uh, pictures. Seriously, I, and you wonder why there's no ghosts there. <laughs> of course, they'd be drawn to that because people are just. I mean, there's. Them. I saw pictures of people laying on the carpet oh. up where Mrs. Borden between the bed and the dresser. Laying face down in the carpet. Now, I'm hoping that's new carpet. <laughs> yes, it's new carpet. <laughs> but there's got to be some still, like, oh, I it's mean, just come on. So anyway, they've done a great job besides, I don't know about the murder pictures, but a great job of restoring the house. that's why people are going. To the 1892. In fact, you can even have the same breakfast that, that the Bordens that ate that morning. Yes. Coffee and cookies for Lizzie? No, that would be Lizzie. I don't know what they (laughs) ate, but (laughs) and you. I don't want the eggs. I would like the cookies, please. (laughs) (laughs) So this doesn't look like the type of place that, you know, if you want to um, have a pool and a bar and a restaurant. And And drink a Cape Cotter. (laughs) And and even a TV. There's no TVs or anything like that. You know, this is truly a... A very Stay quaint, haunted. quaint B&B. <laughs> booze and the booze, B&B. <laughs> okay, just in case you're wondering, I know you were wondering, have any guests ever been hurt by these ghosts? And from what I read, um, no guests have ever refused to stay or fled in the middle of the night. Okay. From what I've read, the ghosts are, are all nice. <laughs> Even with the Ouija boards there? They, they play nice. I don't know. But when I what I'm getting ready to tell you would be enough for me to go. Mm, <laughs> I Uh-oh. don't know if I want to stay here. <laughs> so this is a quote: "The spirits make themselves known, but are polite in doing so." <laughs> 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 
We are talking about Victorian. Yes. <laughs> Victorian yes. Ghosts. So back to the initial question, are ghosts haunting because of the attention? Or is it because of the horrible unsolved crime that happened there? It's said that people and animals who are brutally killed are not able to let go of their earthly existence. I mentioned animals. Yes. Because I read that on the day of the murders, the maid, whether you call her Maggie or Bridget, (laughs) (laughs) her pet cat was found in the basement with his head hacked off. What? I didn't read that anywhere. Yep. And now visitors have mentioned seeing a cat in the house. Cat in the hat? There's not a living one there. A cat meowing is heard. And, and I think this is the most terrifying, (laughs) in the second and third floor bedrooms, guests have felt something like a cat rubbing up against them. Oh, gosh. No. Oh, I just got chills. Nice kitty, kitty, kitty. Okay. (laughs) So how about Mr. and Mrs. Borden, whose lives were so tragically and horribly taken? Some have seen the entity of Mr. Borden walking around the home, and the faint smell of tobacco has wifted by some guests. Hmm. Misty forms have been photographed in the living room area where Andrew Borden was killed, and it seems that his spirit has even learned to now communicate. Oh. He was asked by investigators of Ghost Lab, did Lizzie kill you for your money? And on an EVP, a male answered, You got that right. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. I'm sorry to laugh. But <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> and they just solved the crime. <laughs> well, that ain't no Victorian talk, neither. No, there. it's not. <laughs> and how about Mrs. Abby Borden, who was not only brutally murdered by all accounts, had also a horrible marriage and a horrible existence there in that house with the two girls. Yeah, it seemed like it. Well, it seems her entity has also been seen. An older woman has been seen puttering around the house. Puttering. <laughs> what exactly putter, does that putter, mean? Putter, putter, Was she putter. muttering and puttering <laughs> around the house? She's not cackling. I don't know. No, that's a loving word. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Another time, about a month after renovations of the B&B were completed, a staff member walked into one of the guest rooms and found an indention of a body on the room's bed. Oh. Just like somebody had just laid down. Another thought as to what would keep a spirit anchored to this world is the spirit's restlessness due to guilt for doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Is this why Lizzie Borden's, as well as Maggie or Bridget, the maid's spirits still seem to reside in the house? Interesting. How do they know it's them? Well, there are uh, reportings of an apparition of a woman in maid's clothing doing chores around the house. Why would she still be there? Cold spots have been noticed by many in what was Bridget's room. Then there was the EVP recording, another one, capturing a woman screaming, and this is different from your story, mm-hmm. but the EVP captured a woman screaming, Ma'am, come quick. Oh. Are those the words screamed by Maggie or Bridget on that day? Maybe she wasn't saying, ma'am, come quick. Maybe she was saying, Maggie, come quick. Maybe, maybe. 
There have also That's spooky. <laughs> there's also been seen by all the owners, staff, and some guests an apparition that resembles Lizzie, which has been seen down in the basement looking around for something. Hiding the axe. Maybe the axe. Mm-hmm. I oh, I kind of like doing this because I got like the facts and then you just did the haunting and now it's kind of like all coming together. Okay, anyway, go on. Together. That's interesting. <laughs> so now for some general paranormal occurrences. Okay, this is... Okay, so we've seen... I mean, we haven't seen, but we've talked about lights flickering mm-hmm. on and off, right? Yes. Like it happens a lot. Well, the staff has seen lights flickering on and off, but the catch here is they see the switch on <gasps> the wall going up. Are you kidding and me? Down. That is so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I wouldn't even think to look at the light switch. Like if the lights are flickering on and off, I'm just like grabbing my pillow and curling up like oh my gosh but i wouldn't like think to look oh that's creepy yep isn't that weird and while on the bottom floor one can hear doors opening and closing and footsteps coming from the second and third floors shadows have been seen throughout the house but mostly on the staircase going down the main hallway sometimes on those same stairs staff and guests have felt someone brush against them Yep, there's nobody there. Disembodied voices have been heard. And to add even more intrigue, if this wasn't enough. (laughs) In 1848, that's five decades before Lizzie, there were other Borden murders in the same place. In the same house? Not the same house. It was actually a house next door, which has since been leveled and rebuilt. Mm -hmm. But it was around the same area. Lizzie's great uncle had four wives. His second, Elisa, drowned two of their three children in <gasps> a well. Oh and my then proceeded gosh. to go into her house and slit her own throat. Wow. She was only related to Lizzie through marriage, not a direct relation. But I tell this story because the entities of two children have been seen in various parts of the house. Oh my gosh. There has also been the sound of children laughing and the sound of marbles being played. A lot of guests that have heard this story or have seen the children have actually left toys for the children. So there's like this toy box upstairs that's full of toys that guests have left. One of the craziest things that you can watch this on video, and I guess you can go to the notes afterwards, and, and catch this but it's a uh, lizzie andrew com at paranormal this was in 2007 an investigation team has their camera set up in the jose knowlton room and he was a prosecuting attorney okay. actually and so the room is named after him okay and it's up on the floors that bridget lived in so it's on the top floor which they've now made two bedrooms up there her attic uh huh. Okay. And so it's the prosecutor, his oh, his room. Clever. And, I see. They named the, it after him. Okay. And the defense, the other room is the defense attorney. Okay. Cool. The camera. So the camera is when you're looking at it, you can see this video. The camera is pointing towards a, a wash basin and a bed. Mm-hmm. There's nobody there. They're just talking, waiting for something to happen. Blah blah. And then, um, two of the paranormal investigators walk through the door. 
mm-hmm. and the camera turns <gasps> towards the door. So then they're like, oh, somebody pulled the wire right. or somebody turned it, you know, whatever. So they turn it back t- to the wash basin in the bed and they're pulling on the wires and stuff. No, it, no, this couldn't happen. No, this couldn't happen. And so then they're still, they're talking by the, you know, the, the door to the room and whoosh, the camera moves again What? to, to point on them. Oh my gosh. And you can actually see the camera doing this two times. Is it the dead investigating the living? Ooh, <laughs> mom, no, that's spooky. So there is an author, Sarah Schmidt, who wrote See What I Have Done. It's a novel about the Borden murders. Okay. And from what I read, it, it's, it's a novel, obviously, but she has a lot of fact stuff in there. Oh, cool. So I think you might find Ooh, that interesting. Oh, I would totally read that. And this is a quote from her. In that house, I also met the Bordens, or at least traces of them. One of them brushed their hands across my forehead as I drifted off to sleep. Another one pushed me in the chest while I made a cup of tea in the kitchen. At different times during the day and night, I caught the faint smell of tobacco pipe and lavender, but could never trace the origin. I saw a tall shadow of a man walking through the sitting room as I read old newspaper clippings in the dining room. But you should know, I only believe in ghosts when I write. Whoa. (laughs) That is the end of my paranormal. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we have to go there. (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty crazy i know see what i mean i mean it was no well, I'm, I'm more so of a between much. the two of us i'm more of a skeptic than beth is yes so you, you really have to like mm. but this one is kind of like whoa there's a lot of lot well, of different recordings something so traumatic happened and then you have people living there that are constantly like dredging it up oh yes exactly and even if they're not dredging up the spirits of Abby and Andrew or Lizzie, they're just, you know, constantly looking. And that just opens the door to so many different mm-hmm. things when you believe in that stuff. So I just, it's there's got to be so much there. Yeah. All right. Well, there you are, Massachusetts. <laughs> I hope we did you well. Well, another good one, Mom. Next Monday is California. episode 11, and it's California. Yeah. Woohoo! I'm excited. I have a really fun paranormal one planned. Oh, good. Good. I do not have a fun crime story. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I got one, but it ain't fun. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you all so much for another week. We are still asking for some personal true crime and paranormal stories. We really want to do, I think, a fun episode and read some of your guys' emails. So email us at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. You can also message us on Facebook, Killer Hangover Podcast. We're also on Instagram. And every week I am posting pictures of each case we cover and each paranormal location we cover. So you can kind of see what we're talking about in a few of the episodes. So thank you so much for all the follows, subscriptions. We really appreciate it. All right, Mom. This was fun. This was fun, honey. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>